You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. It's The Big Show in the morning. Uh, Russick back tomorrow. Excited for him to return. We're live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. I'm Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas, GVP, Alex Brody running the board in the other room. And we appreciate your work back there, gentlemen. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to one of our favorites from uh, our sister station out in Toronto. Good morning to Mr. Nick Kiprios. What's going on, man? You say favorites, and I look over my shoulder, and I'm like, who are you, guys, who are you talking about? <laughs> hey, we love when you come on because you bring the passion, you bring the takes, and uh, <laughs> and that's what we're here for. So we love that. Um, Nick, there's a lot to that, that I wanted to get into with you. Uh, I know you guys had a conversation about tanking on your show with Justin Bourne recently that I do want to dive into, but perhaps just uh, maybe a little bit of a, a thought on the Leafs and, and how things are going. Yesterday was the halfway point of the season. What would be your maybe letter grade you would give the first half of the year for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I would probably say it'd be around a, a B, a B plus. I think you are uh, really squeezing everything you can out of this uh, lineup so far. The deficiencies to the lineup to get over that hump in the Atlantic against teams like Tampa and, and Boston are still there. Uh, the question marks coming into the season on the goaltending is still there. Uh, the lack of... Uh, uh, a shutdown guy on the blue line is still there. And then, of course, outside of your core four that you've got $40 million in, uh, how much depth is truly there to back up those guys when they're not scoring? So for the most part, they're, they're in that top tier of top teams in the league and the record shows of it. But to have the lineup now that can truly go toe-to-toe with the Tampa Bay Lightning yet again, with the Boston Bruins, uh, a lot of people feel like they're still a, a piece or two away. Man, these Bruins are an absolute wagon. 68 points. They've won four games in a row. They keep winning at home. What has maybe impressed you the most about how the Bruins have come into this season just dominated? Because I... I'll say it. I was the fool who said, I think some of these injuries are going to catch up to them and they'll probably get off to a rocky start and then maybe get in as one of the bottom teams in the playoffs. And I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> you and many other. Yeah. Uh, the, one, the one thing that kind of stands out in our game is once you're a proven winner, uh, it tends to follow you the rest of your career. And I think that's just the case when we're talking about Tampa and Boston is that people want to write them off. Uh, they just they just look at it logically. Uh, wear and tear, uh, tired, the, the time is now that you slow down. And winners and people of character uh, just find different ways to say, oh, really, I can read, I can listen to the shows, I can watch TV, I know what you're saying. And it, it fuels their fire to, to continue to come back time and time again. And I think that, that we're seeing that with uh, the Patrice Bergerons of the world and the Steven Stamkoses of the world. And, uh, you know, when they're, when they're talked about in this capacity, I think it, uh, it, 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 it stokes more of a fire for them. 
And and that's up to other teams uh, that haven't done it yet uh, to go out there and take something from them that they have. And, you know, whether it's the Toronto Maple Leafs or many on uh, Calgary who don't have the pedigree of now a Nazem Kadri uh, as a champion, uh, it's up to them to take it away. And until that happens, uh, they get to sit at the top of the mountain. It's fascinating this year watching two very high-profile UFAs have two unbelievable years, one in the East, one in the West, and have very different situations surrounding them. I'm talking about Bo Horvat in Vancouver and David Pasternak in Boston. Feels like Bo's going to get traded. Pasternak, at this point, maybe feels like he's going back to Boston. I think that the bottom point, the bottom line here with Pasternak is he is going to get paid for this season that he's having. What do you think happens with Pasternak? I, I think he's going to force the Boston Bruins to make a very tough decision. And Boston has run their organization on uh, a, a very tight budget. And this is this is even well before uh, the salary cap. They just don't like to spend top, top money uh, like other organization, organizations have in the past. And I've seen that through, through history, uh, go back to the pre-salary cap days of even a Ray Bork. Uh, and now we're watching this era of terrific hockey, which included a Stanley, you know, Stanley Cup. And Patrice Bergeron never hit the home run. Brad Marchand has been arguably one of the top wingers in the league. He will never be the top paid guy, you know, as he comes into his mid 30s. There's a lot of windows that have been missed for these guys. I think Pasternak is in that wheelhouse where he. He just says, this is my price, and if you hit it, great, I stay. If not, I'll go. And right now he's putting himself in a position to be one of the highest-paid guys in the league. Where does that leave him uh, as, as you evaluate and project where the cap will be? Yeah. Is it 11.5? Is it 12.5? Is it 13.5? Uh, I'm sure he's got his agents, his analysts, all projecting where the cap will be in two or three years. If he, find, if he signs a five, six, or seven-year contract, where is that number? 13, 13 and a half? It, does Boston want to go there? Do they want to pay him four, five, six million dollars more than Charlie McAvoy? Is that part of the equation, or do they like them keeping all their top-paid guys together? So, I mean, this is going to be a fascinating case study on on Pasternak and where he takes this Boston Bruins team, which has uh, been well-known for, for keeping uh, uh, the money very close. He's only on pace for 64 goals. That's woof. Um, he's my favorite, by the way. I, oh, I think I he's, I, you know, and he's got an edge to him. Uh, this guy plays hard. He's strong. He can be nasty. Um, like, I love him. Marketable player, tons of style, big fan. Uh, we're talking to Nick Kiprios here on the big show. My name's Matt Rossi's Patty Dumas. Uh, they're going to hit the midway point of their season tonight, but the Winnipeg Jets are 26 13 and 1, their best record uh, as a franchise uh, history in Winnipeg. Uh, essentially, the same roster that they had last year. They're getting healthy now. The one difference is Rick Bonus is in charge. Uh, what have your uh, views of the, the Jets have been as they roll into Detroit tonight? <laughs> Yeah, well, fantastic job, first of all, by uh, all of them for 
for what I, I projected uh, and many as a, an off year, a transition year mm-hmm. as they completely revamped that dressing room and they, they stripped Blake Wheeler um, of his captaincy. And there's still some issues going into this season uh, on Pierre-Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, uh, these guys are playing so hard. And we know Morrissey, as they call him now, Norrissey, yeah. uh, is taking his game to uh, another level. Uh, great goaltending. And I just think that Rick Bonus has done a, a fantastic job of giving them a different feel that uh, that perhaps Paul Maurice, uh, you know, didn't give them. And, you know, Rick Bonus is uh, uh, one of those guys that can come in and he can allocate um, authority. Like he's not an X and O's guy. He doesn't run meetings every day. He just is there to kind of make sure that certain players are held accountable. But he he allocates uh, his job to his associates. They run meetings. They go through specialty teams. He's just there um, to either uh, pat you on the back or, or kick you in the ass. And I think it's just a, a different feel for them now, and they seem to be coming together at the right time. Their windows now. This team will break up. Uh, there's no question. Uh, nothing's changed. Pierre-Luc Dubois still wants to get traded. He still told them, I'm not resigning here. That hasn't changed. So uh, it, they're going to have to make some tough decisions at the trade deadline here on on how hard they push to win now. And right now, they're they're making believers out of a lot of people. Now in Montreal, uh, tough one last night. They're not playing great at all. Four nothing defeat by the Seattle Kraken. Your Slavkovsky pointless now in eleven straight, I believe. Uh, you guys had a conversation on tanking yesterday, uh, and just go into a little bit more on that, and just uh, just overall with the league and how how you expect the bottom is going to play out. As we know, uh, Connor Bedard's waiting for somebody here in come June. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's gotten out of, uh, out of control in terms of the narrative that we push out constantly on on being rewarded now for for terrible play yeah. and this is half a season to go you got you got 20 some odd games at home uh, where you have to sell season tickets and you've got corporate people uh and on top of that we've entered this new world on asking people to take their hard-earned money and and and, and make bets uh during this particular game and i just think uh you know when you mess with kind of integrity and character and all of that it's not a good look mm-hmm. and i think there has to be a way that people can can change the narrative of let's lose for bedard or the next great draft pick uh well before half a season uh you know is still left to play and what does that mean do we do we revisit the lottery Do we now put the same emphasis on teams that finish, uh, you know, uh, 17th to 24, you know, uh, the odds are better for the teams at 24 to 32. Uh, Let's, let's even the the odds and, and, you know, whether or not you're, you know, the 12th worst team or the the very worst team should be the same odds. Like mm-hmm. why, why all of a sudden, why all of a sudden do you get rewarded for, for putting the worst possible lineup on the ice? To me, 
we, we need to revisit that. Do you think it's unique uh, to this draft with uh, what's happening with who's in this draft, or is it just something that uh, down the line it's going to be more? You're going to see this more often with with the salary cap and teams wanting to keep more younger players in and and see what they can do with it. Uh, is it, you see it's just unique to this year, or is it something that is could be a problem if the NHL doesn't figure it out quick? It's it's not a unique uh, uh, thing, but what a guy like Connor Bedard does mm-hmm. is he stokes the fire. Yeah. He makes it uh, a little bit, uh, he makes it a lot more emotional for long suffering fans, uh, because he's so good and he can, he can, uh, certainly, uh, change the dynamic of an organization, uh, with, with one lottery ball. All of a sudden season tickets are going up 15% after you've named them as a, as a draft pick. Uh, all of that comes into play. So the emotion is magnified, no question, with Connor Bedard. But but the narrative and the conversation will always be the same year to year. Nick, who are you most excited, or maybe not excited is the right word, but as we draw closer to the trade deadline, there's a lot of discussion about some of the players that might be available. And it kind of breeds into what you were just talking about with teams that might only be a few points out but seem okay to sell given how this draft lottery might work. Who are some of the players that you're intrigued to watch over the next few months as maybe the rumor mill starts to heat up a bit? Well, I think uh, it, it's interesting as, as we watch and, we, you know, you mentioned Bo Harvat and the Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks and uh, some teams are just too good to get into that conversation of tanking and Vancouver's one of them. Uh, it was probably about three weeks ago. I'm on Tim and friends and they're like, Vancouver should tank. And I'm like, you know, you just signed JT Miller uh, to, to a big long-term contract. And uh, you, you can't do that and then turn around and then tank. Uh, it, it's just, it's just not right there. And I think that, you know, when you, when you talk about teams that need to kind of uh, revamp, uh, I believe in a revamp. I think the New York Rangers did it, what, five, six years ago. Remember the, that letter they sent out to their fans about saying that they're going to readjust? Mm. It took them all but uh, three years to turn around. And granted, you know, we don't believe that they, that they should be, first and foremost, talked about trying to win the Stanley Cup just yet. But they're a competitive team. And they could find themselves in the conference final, and they've got good young players, and, and they've they've put themselves in a position that they should be able to contend for the next uh, three, four, five years. Um, and they didn't have to go through this real horrible five, six, seven, eight years of just being miserable in front of their fans. Um, and I think Vancouver could be in that position as well, but obviously. They've got to make a hard decision on Bo Horvat, or, you know, from what my sources say, that 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 hard uh, decision was made in the off season when they picked JT Miller over him, Ooh. and basically told them that, uh, you know, we don't see you as a number one centerman or a number one playmaker, and you're not an eight million dollar player. So uh, it's not if he gets traded, it's when for me. That is a. A wild scenario playing out in Vancouver right now. Uh, Nick, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about the Calgary Flames. They're playing um, back-to-back games in St. Louis today and then on Thursday as well. 
Do you remember doing any of those and, and how they might have affected those two games when you were playing? No, no. And uh, I had to look again at the schedule and go, is this, <laughs> is this right? Is this not back-to-back, uh, home and home? And it's like, <laughs> no, away and way. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. You just treat it as a, as a mini-series. Uh, you know, they've also um, went through this uh, – period of a pandemic where they saw teams you know multiple teams uh, at the same time so i don't know you, you know you the most important thing is calgary flames have to realize they're in a dog fight right now and they've got to you know, they've got to readjust this back half of the season um, you start getting some consistency and they've got to get some guys to put the puck in the net uh i you know when you look at uh some of these names that you see on the team that uh, will not uh, produce a, a point a game type of season. Uh, that's just uh, underachieving and that's got to change in the second half. It's going to be fascinating to watch for sure. Uh, the second half of the season should be very exciting, especially on the Eastern conference where at this point last year, we pretty much knew which eight teams were going to the playoffs. Actually a little bit of a race. It should be fun to follow this down the rest of the way. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people talking this week about uh, Buffalo Sabres, uh, you know, making a big push here. I, I know that uh, they had a, a tough loss the other day, uh, but, uh, you know, they got some good young players. Do they get the goaltending to, to push in the East remains to be seen. But, yeah, it should be a lot of fun watching, uh, you know, the last 40 games of the season here down down the stretch. and trade deadline will come around uh, the corner here guys uh, we're all of a sudden uh, a lot closer than we were you know hmm. a couple of weeks ago teams are talking teams are are wanting to do things they just can't right now uh, until until uh salaries start getting uh you know sliced off the books a little bit here this is all uh we would have seen some trades already but uh, the caps are the uh, salary caps are so tight they actually have to buy cap space by waiting longer to make their move. Got to get that uh, that accrued daily cap space, right? Keep those yeah. guys off the LTIR. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure as always. Have a great show today, man. We'll chat soon. Anytime, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Nick Kiprios, Fan 590, Real Kipper and Boren. Mm-hmm. Uh, all things Leafs and really the general NHL. Yeah. And uh, as you heard, the guy's got some sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a bad guy to be tied to as we get closer to the trade deadline. Interesting on Bo Horvat that, you know, he, he had heard going back to the offseason mm-hmm. that the Canucks told him, we've chosen JT Miller. We don't think you're a first-line center. We don't think you're an $8 million player. Oops. And he goes out and does this. Yeah, putting together an absolutely career year. And I think I, 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 I talked... It was a couple of weeks ago when you were off the air, uh, on on break there. Uh, it was it was with Brandon Bachelor actually. It was uh, we had Brandon yeah, Bachelor. Right yeah, on. and I asked him, does Bo Horvat's play making his play making him even more impossible to trade for another team to get? That this the, that the pr- the price that the Canucks will be asking for might be just too much for a team to get right now. This would have to be something that has to get done. Perhaps at the draft, but then again, Vancouver's not getting much out of it if you're just moving them at the draft. Yeah, what are you getting? Nothing. You're getting a first, maybe a first. How are you getting first for rights? Yeah, exactly. And, not even. And rights, uh, not even. Yeah. Rights that'll expire in like three days. Yeah, so this is going to be an impossible, maybe an impossible task. It does take just one GM to do it. 
But what Vancouver would want want in a package for Bo Horvat? Like, well, okay, so I want to say. I was doing a lot of podcasts listening yesterday. Mm-hmm. I was catching up on a whole bunch of stuff. So it was like 32 Thoughts and then American Friedman. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to the DFO show. And I also listened to three episodes of Smartless. The one mm-hmm. with John Krasinski, <laughs> 10 bells. <laughs> but back to my point, they were discussing this and saying, you kind of got to start looking around at like past trades and framework as mm-hmm. far as the age, UFA, all those types of things. And the comparable that they came up with was the Mark Stone trade. Okay. That so, was done November-ish, right? If I want to make sure. Well, confirm. It was done uh, earlier on in the year. Let me check. I'm checking it right now. They were talking more or less about the the amount of Oh, the, pieces. the, the, the pieces. Okay. That was a trade deadline. It was a oh, February was 25th Okay, deal. okay. Sorry. Okay. And that was Oscar Lingberg, who was a roster player, mm-hmm. a younger roster player. Uh, Eric Brandstrom, who at the time was a highly touted prospect, mm-hmm. and a second round pick. And that got the Mark Stone. No salary retained in that deal as well. So a little bit of a starting point, at least. Yeah. Now at that point, Mark Stone was making 7.35. What was the season like at that point, too? Well, okay, so that trade was done February 25th, 2019. He finished the 2018 19 season with uh he had 62 points in 59 games in Ottawa before the deal. Okay. And then he had 5 goals and 11 points in 18 games with the Golden Knights after the trade. But Over yeah, he had, game. he had tw- he was a point per game player mm-hmm. and had 28 goals. So kind of right around where Horvat is. A little different because yeah. Horvat really leans heavily goals over assists mm-hmm. whereas it was a 28-34 split for Stone, but the basis is they're two guys Right in that, you know, mid to late 20s age range, mm-hmm. you know, ready to be a UFA, ready to get that next big contract, and they're available. And, and that's just kind of the, the, the price it would cost you. It's top prospect. Mm-hmm. It's a, a roster player, probably yeah. makes some money work. And in a second round pick in this draft is, is a late, like if you can get an, er, like an early sec, early mm-hmm. to mid round second, that's practically a late first. The qu- <laughs> Pardon me. The question is, are any of these teams going to need salary retained? Mm-hmm. You know, Bo Horvat is on a $5.5 million cap hit, which is significantly less than what Mark Stone was at the time, and Vegas found a way to get him in. But, you know, back then, Vegas didn't have a whole bunch of superstars on their team just yet. Yeah. Um, you could cut that salary down to, what, that $2.75 mm-hmm. million dollars if you use one team as if, uh, if the Canucks were able to retain. You bring another team in, but all of a sudden, you're up in your cost. Mm-hmm. You're adding a higher round pick for that salary retention. You're throwing a, a mid to a late round pick to another team if they need to retain mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Now, granted, would he be just and it, an it, unbelievable second-line center on a team that's trying to win the whole darn thing this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. You better believe it. Colorado. <laughs> they keep coming up. They keep coming up. But the other thing, too, is if I'm Colorado... Who, as of today... Am I taking off this roster? Who, as of today... Well, it's not necessarily taking off the roster. It's, to me, they're two points out, which is fine. Mm -hmm. If there's a team that's going to be able to make up that ground and be able to get back into the playoffs, Mm -hmm. it's the Colorado Avalanche. I'm not worried about their group, necessarily. I know they're continuing to get healthy and and all that type of jazz and Stanley Cup hangovers and 
whatever you want to say, but they are a team that Nathan McKinnon's going to double his salary next year. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that are going to need raises sooner rather than later. They've got some room. They're going to have about $4.8 million at the deadline as per cap friendly because they're not using LTIR, which is great for them. But they're an intriguing team for sure. Yeah. But the, but do you want to move out the pieces? Because they already sold a lot of prospects and a lot of picks to get bring in guys like Arturi Lekkinen and Josh Manson. Like if they move there first, they won't pick in 2023 until round five. And this is a good draft that you want to have something in the top half at least. Mm-hmm. I think most teams would like to have they like, want to be all pit- their picks oh, of course. in the first three rounds. A team like... I'm looking at it right now. So they're an intriguing yeah. one for sure. Mm-hmm. What about a Dallas? Dal- yeah, I was just going to say Dallas. Is a, is we were a- talking about Ken Johnson who played a little bit of second line center for this team earlier in the season. Why? Obviously, they've got Jason Robertson or no. Rupi Hans and Joe Pavelski doing their thing. It's the Ben and Sagan contracts that are going to make adding a bigger contract almost impossible. Money would need to go out with this one, but here's the thing. Get rid of Dennis Gurionov. Yeah. I don't know I don't know how you do it, but if you can lose his $2.9 million, he's an RFA at the end of the year, and the guy who's been healthy scratched, and yeah, he's got a lot of talent, but if you... you maybe maybe find, he'd probably be in that trade. Maybe. Sure. If you send him back, that... <laughs> Vancouver will take him, I guess, but... If you can find a place for that guy, all of a sudden you've got about three and change, three and a half, mm-hmm. and you can make it work if Vancouver was able to retain. Yeah. They're a team that really intrigues me because, man, they're having a good year. Very good. good goaltending. And it feels like you get one more piece. Ben and Sagan are contributing, maybe not to the price point that they're at, but enough that you feel they're like healthy you're... and they're that's what I mean. They're healthy and they're 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 playing a serviceable game on it's, this top team in the central division. It's similar to the Milan Lucic situation. Yeah. Yeah. Does he make like a lot more money than you'd like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But there's a role for him mm-hmm. and he it's understands working. it and, and he contributes in, in that sense. So it's there. The Bo Horvat thing just continues to be because you roll, you me. can roll like I wish Pavelski pa- Horvat hints or not even like a hint. Like not well, even Pavelski like a, plays on the top yeah, line, but you yeah. go Sagan or Ben. Yeah. Yeah. And all good. of a sudden, you're feeling really good down the middle. Carolina, another team that keeps getting brought up. They're a team that's projected to have about $2.2 million in cap space. They maybe have to move something out. And you kind of want to see what happens with Max Pacioretty here. But another interesting team. There's just a few. Mm-hmm. Just a little log on the fire of the Bo Horvat rumor mill. <laughs> As Canucks fans will love that. We'll take a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flames, Blues, tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll give you all the details for the game tonight, but we'll also break down the Blues a little bit. Darren Pang joins us from TNT. And, uh, of course, Ringside covered the Blues, has covered the Blues for a very long time. We'll get the latest from Darren around the corner. Banged up, but still winning games. Yeah. That's the deal with the St. Louis Blues. A couple of big tilts between these two clubs today and Thursday. We'll get the latest next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back. As we continue, it's the big show in the morning. Final segment of our show this mm. morning. Take you up until 9 o'clock. And then uh, give way to the rest of the professionals at our lovely station. Merrick's show goes at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. 
Sportsnet Today, Hockey Central, Flames Talk, Flames Warm Up, Flames Blues goes at six o'clock. Yeah. For the latest on the St. Louis Blues, as we get set for this back to back in St. Louis, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to Darren Pang. Good morning, Darren. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'll have a uh, Hawaiian pizza, please, if you don't mind. Hawaiian Canadian cheese on that. Yeah, we'll send it right down. Just uh, get the address up here, and uh, <laughs> you know, thirty minutes or it's free. That's not there. Sounds good. Send it right. Send it right between the benches. There you go. Okay, <laughs> I love that. Second period snap. Well, yes, we'll be watching. Uh, and hey, I want gotta ask about you about this Blues team. Uh, injuries have started to pile up, but despite that, the wins have also started to pile up. What have you seen in maybe the last week, ten days from this Blues team? Is um, maybe some injuries to some key guys looks to have galvanized this unit? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's simplified their approach a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's. Uh, the, I mean, the main thing is missing Ryan O'Reilly for me. I mean, he's a, as you guys well know, he, he plays he, he, he all critical situations. And anytime there's a key face-off, he's the guy that's on the ice, on the penalty kill. Had as much power play time as he had in the past um, because of the emergence of, you know, Robert Thomas and, and Jordan Cairo and, and Buchnevich. But um, he's still an integral part. But, you know, Braden Shan has picked up. Uh, big time. I mean, I, I think you could throw that C right on Braden Shen right now, and, and he's been the ultimate leader for them. And same with his line mate, Brandon Sod and Ivan Barbashev. So uh, without O'Reilly and without Tarasenko, those three players have really picked up their play. So, well, they're scoring a ton of goals, but they're giving up a ton of goals. Um, other than the last game where Thomas Grice stood on his head in Minnesota and uh, was the first, second, and third star for me, he was that good. But uh, before that, I mean, they were just giving up a ton of quality scoring chances, probably 20 quality chances per game, maybe 15 of them from the slot. So they, they had to tighten things up uh, defensively if they're going to, you know, if they're going to succeed. But they went 3-1 and one on the road, and they, they got some points, and I think they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Braden Shen is a fascinating player. I find that good teams usually take on a lot of the personality of their head coach, and... Craig Berube is one of those guys who's got a commanding personality, and when you watch Braden Shen play, he can score, he can scrap, he can hit, he can do a little bit of everything. He really does kind of encapsulate what is or how a Craig Berube team should play. Absolutely. I mean, he has been the ultimate you know, warrior and leader um, since Doug Armstrong made that incredible trade with Philadelphia. I'm, I still don't know what Philadelphia was thinking <laughs> with yeah. that deal, uh, but but the Blues are thankful, and, and he, no, he just understands the game. He understands when, when the time is, when the moment is. Um, he, he knows, you know, when, when it's necessary to, to drop the mitts. He knows when it's necessary to step up and say something. And funny thing right now is he can't say very much. He's had laryngitis for almost, shoot, I bet it's been almost three weeks now. Oh. Uh, poor guy has a hard time talking. So he, if, the, if the Flames players want to get in a chirping contest tonight with them, uh, they're, they're, they're barking up the wrong tree because he can't speak, the poor guy. So, um, but uh, but his, his play has been doing all the talking for sure. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think you're right about, you know, Craig Bruby knows he can lean on him. And, and also Chief knows that he can actually, you know, he can give it to him. And, and, and Shen plays a big boy's game. He's not going to wither away and wilt away and start sulking and pouting and whatever. Mm. You know, we have a lot of those young players in our game today, and they they can't handle a little bit of a large, you know, bark from their coach. And uh, 
but not Braden Shen. He's uh, he handles it well, and then he and then he performs. So um, I've got a lot of time and respect for him. And Brandon Sod's a guy that you know. I mean, I've seen him play for a lot of years, and he's been with the Blues now for a couple. But this is the best that he's ever played with the Blues. He's got a four-game goal streak. I think he's got five in that time. Um, he's been scoring shorthanded on the power play at even strength. So uh, his play is the best I've ever seen from from uh, from from him, in my opinion, anyway, from Brendan Sod. And you mentioned Ivan Barbashev. I know a lot of the mm, notice, I guess, for the pending UFAs of Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. There's a lot of attention there, but... Barbashev's one of those guys that when the Blues won a Stanley Cup played a key important role down the lineup has showed this year that he can play up the lineup if need be as well is this a guy that the Blues would maybe prefer to keep or do you think you have to maybe explore the trademark the other thing here is that the Blues have had a really good week and gotten themselves right back in the playoff race well that's the interesting part for Doug Armstrong and any GM in this spot it's like Every single game, are they are they selling false hope, or is this a team that can, you know, that can at least win a round and scare somebody like they did last year? Um, you know, I think all the players want is uh, is the opportunity, but the, all the GM wants is for them to prove that they deserve the opportunity. So it, there's a fine line right there, as any GM will tell you. And for Ivan Barbashev, um, if if there was a player, if I were a team in the NHL and I was wanting to make a move at the deadline, um, it wouldn't be for a star player or a top six player, For not for me. That upsets the apple cart. Um, but Ivan Barbashev, for me, I'd, I'd want him a, any day on my team. He's a Swiss Army knife. He doesn't have an ego. He's, uh, he's on our second power play. He's on our number one PK. He can play in the top nine with, with ease. As he is right now, he's a right winger on the on the top line with with Shen and Saad. Um, and if that doesn't work, then he can go on in the next line and, and be a hard checker. Um, he's he's that valuable of, of a player. He skates well. He hits well. Mm-hmm. He can make a play. Yeah, I'm, I've got a lot of time for Ivan Barbashev. He he's the kind of guy that could be the difference on a, difference maker on a team in, in in their rise to the Stanley Cup. I hope that the Blues you know don't move him. Um, that's how much I think of him. Um, but uh, I would understand that if there are going to be several teams in the offseason that are going to pay him much more than the Blues can afford to pay him, well, then I think you'd get a boatload for him at the deadline. I kind of get some Arturi Lekkanen vibes there if he ends up uh, if he does yeah, end up point. getting uh, dealt. Uh, we're chatting with Darren Pang, Blues analyst on Valley Sports Midwest, NHL on TNT, of course, uh, former NHL netminder as well. My name's Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas. Uh, Darren, the leading scorers in your group there down in St. Louis, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas. We know them obviously well from from their days in Team Canada. They grow up together playing there, and then they go into St. Louis. And now it seems like this might be their group now. Uh, talk about how just what Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas have meant to uh, to this Blues squad as they've dealt with the injuries to O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Tory Krug yeah. and everything else. They're probably, I mean, they're probably better players when you have O'Reilly and and, and Tarasenko. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with respect, but you can you can tuck them away a little bit more. I think I think the toughest part for Jordan Cairo is when he has to go up against the other team's best players every single night. Mm-hmm. It's just not as easy. And I think Craig Berube's done a phenomenal job over the years of whether they're in that third line rotation and they get hidden, or even in that second you know role where they still don't face the other team's best players, but. You know, when they have the opportunity to make a play, they can flat out make a play. If you look at all the stats, and you know, I, I don't over, I don't overwhelm myself. 
help in, uh, in, in analytics, but sport logic, they feed us the information and you can't help but look at the rush chances. And, and that's so he's in the tops in the entire NHL. And then, you know, a guy like uh, Robert Thomas, he makes passes dot to dot, you know, seam to seam. Um, that's remarkable how it is. And then you actually add Bushnevich on that line, and, and that's, that's a really remarkable line. So, yeah, they, they're, they're kind of the, it's the transition players. You know, it's the, the younger players that you can't anoint them leadership just yet, but uh, they're on their way. And, and certainly when you, when, you, when you put a puck stick and on the ice, uh, they can be electrifying. And, and I think that's what's changed the way the Blues play, and that's one of the reasons why they've been inconsistent. You know, they used to be a team that plays down low and heavy game and holds on to pucks, and they don't waste a lot of shots. They don't funnel pucks on the net for no apparent reason. They wait for the golden opportunity. And, and then now the transition is, you know, away from the rallies and, and some of the other players and more towards the, the rush attack uh, players like, like uh, Cairo and, and like Robert Thomas. So it makes it fun to watch because on any given night, you never know what they're going to bring to the table. And most times it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exhilarating hockey. Uh, the goaltending in St. Louis, uh, obviously we know what Jordan, Brin- Jordan Bennington has been. His, he's had his antics this year with, with other players and whatnot. But you, you mentioned there Thomas Grice could have been the first, second, and third star there on Sunday against the Wild. But how's the goaltending been with Bennington and Grice? I know the numbers aren't the greatest, obviously. But of late, how have uh, how's those two uh, been, uh, been, uh, been playing? No, they've been fine. fine. The, the, the yeah. chances against have been overwhelming, to be yeah. quite honest with you. The defending play, the you know, the, the Blues were when they were winning a hard team to play against. They they came in the middle of the ice. They forced all the shots from the outside, and, uh, and any goaltender will tell you that you know they'll take angle shots. They'll take shots off the faceoff dot day of the week. You know now they're they're not quite believing in that part of the game, and and that's 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 been the bane of their existence. To be quite honest with you, so. As far as the goaltenders are concerned, they're having to make 15 to 20 unbelievable saves per night, and I think there's just too much stress on them myself. So I think they've been fine, and I think on many nights, Jordan Bennington's been the all-star of the team. And then on some nights, I mean, I'm not going to deny, there's the emotions that he has. I kind of compare him to John McEnroe. When things aren't going well, he yeah. tries everything in his power, <laughs> throw a racket, yell at a referee, whack at somebody, and then try to get his game back on par. But you know, I think the head coach did a great job of telling him to basically shut up and stop the puck. And from that point on, he's been extremely good. Uh, Craig Berube, uh, this guy, I think he's a, one of the more underrated coaches around the league. Uh, I love watching him, <laughs> love hearing him talk, love just, just what he brings to the team. Uh, how's his uh, steadying? You talked about how he's been with the steadying atmosphere in that group with, 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 uh, with how, the, how things have gone. Uh, injury-wise and the inconsistency, but how good is uh, Craig Berube just as a coach and with this group? No, phenomenal. Phenomenal coach, phenomenal person, um, phenomenal, like, just to be around, the respect that he has for for people's jobs, um, the amount of time he has great patience in answering a a question that is just, you know, just (laughs) nonsensical (laughs) is... uh, (laughs) Is great. He's a good person. You can tell he was raised right, and got it. He's got a great family. But the coaching part of it, sure, there's been some times where it's been frustrating that the the team's not, you know, doesn't play the way that 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 he believes in. And uh, but I tell you what, when when the chips are down, that's when he coaches his best. And I think there's been a little transition. Jim Montgomery was here for a couple of years and and did a phenomenal job. He's a bright coach and. You know, he goes on to, to Boston and, and in comes uh, Craig McTavish and, and Mac T hasn't been on the bench for a little bit of time. And 
now he's he's finding his way right now, and he's and and I think he's Mac T's really blended in well with them, and no coincidence that they're you know they're starting to have some success again. So I uh, I like the coaching staff: Mike Van Ryan, former NHLer, Steve Ott, former NHLer, and then Craig McTavish. That's a half the coaching staff right there. Can you tell us a little bit about the season that Jake Neighbors is having for the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, well, I mean it's it's been up and down only because he started with the team and then went back down and I think he was fighting through a, an injury as well. Uh, went down, had good success in the minors, had seven goals in nine games, got recalled. And since his recall, he's, I think he's played really well. He's, he, you know, he's not going to overwhelm you with what you see with Cairo or Thomas or some of these other players. He's just a straight line up and down winger that takes the body, knows the game of hockey. I think he's, you know, quite frankly, I, when we're talking about Craig Berube, I, I think he's one of chiefs kind of players. And that's why he's going to fit in well with the same because he is a straight-ahead kid, and he does take the body, and and uh, and he's not afraid to drop the mitts if that that has have, has to happen. But that's not the biggest part of his game. But goes to the front of the net, stops in front of the crease, and that's uh, that's kind of Craig Berube in St. Louis Blues hockey. So hmm. he's uh, he's going to be a good one for a long time. Uh, last one here for you, Darren, and this is actually a little bit off the text line as we've got a, a gentleman listening out on the East Coast. His name is Dave. Uh, World Juniors were just in Halifax. And uh, he mentioned that you had played uh, a little bit out on the East Coast in the Maritimes as well. I see a uh, little bit of time with the Nova Scotia Oilers. What do you remember from your time on the Mar- out in the Maritimes? Yeah, I, I remember that quite well. It was 1986-87, and uh, my goalie partner was Daryl Ray. He was part of the Edmonton Oilers. I was part of the Blackhawks. And um, we were kind of – our number one team was actually in Saginaw because we had more NHL players there because – Halifax was splitting, mm. or the Nova Scotia Oilers were splitting, but uh, the Blackhawks wanted me to go there, play some games, and then they recalled me to Chicago for the playoffs. And all I remember is how fun the city was, um, how how great how, how, I got to tell you how great the bars were, <laughs> how great the people were. Um, you know, there's always live bands everywhere. It had a university flair to it, and and uh, it felt like a big city. And actually, the coolest part was wearing an Edmonton Oilers sweater. They were I, exactly. Uh, Edmonton Oilers jerseys with just Nova Scotia Oilers on them. Hmm. And I got to play with some great players. And uh, I felt like I was, honest to goodness, I felt like I was great time I put on that equipment. So that was pretty cool for me. Love it. Uh, and a nice little tidbit from the text line as well. Darren, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the two uh, contests this week and uh, the rest of the season. Really appreciate it. Okay. No problem. Thank you, guys. Have Thanks, a great Darren. day. There you go. That's Darren Pang. Blues analyst on Valley Sports Midwest. Uh, you see him on NHL on TNT as well. Uh, former NHL goaltender and also former Nova Scotia Oiler. Neato. Pretty sweet. Oh, yeah, you got the the unis here? Yeah, there's a Marty. Oh, yeah, those are pretty sweet. A Marty McSorley signed one. It's just Oilers jersey with the, literally where the, the where all the letters like spill down to the bottom and just has Nova Scotia yeah, written on it. As far as, you know, being an Oilers jersey, it's not that bad, I guess. Oh, no. Yeah. If you want to go that way. Uh, Flames Blues, 6 mm-hmm. o'clock tonight. Pre-game goes at 5 o'clock. Uh, obviously, you can watch it on Sportsnet. Uh, we'll have the game here for you. Mm-hmm. At Steinberg, we'll have Flames Talk starting at 3 o'clock. Looking forward to that. Uh, you can also hear the Jeff Merrick show. Him and Elliot are back. Francis is going today. He couldn't go tomorrow or yesterday, so he's going today. So he is going today. I wasn't sure if this was a typo. No, no, no. Eric Francis will be at noon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Logan Gordon's got your sports net today at 1 o'clock. Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian. Going to go at 2. 
And uh, wall-to-wall, Flames coverage. Getting you set on a game day. Two huge games down in St. Louis. We'll see if Walker Dewar gets into the lineup on the fourth line. Um, Not expecting Jacob Peltier to play in this contest, although he did rotate in a little bit on the top line at yesterday's practice session as per the the practice notes from Mm -hmm. Ryan Dittrich uh, of the Calgary Flames. So, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Morning skate set to go in roughly an hour or so here. We'll see what happens. A couple of big games against the St. Louis Blues this week. Yeah, it's a massive, uh, massive road trip. Obviously, like uh, you, you didn't want to see started off. You get the point against Chicago, wanted the two. You need a better effort tonight if you want to get the full two points for sure. Three points separate the Flames and the Blues entering these two games. They've both played 41 contests. You had an opportunity to mm-hmm. put. Oh my goodness! You can put a five, seven points, seven points by the end of this trip. You could say five points by the end of tonight. You could might say good night to the St. Louis Blues creeping on you for a playoff spot if you can sweep them. That was embarrassing. I couldn't add three and four. <laughs> it's okay. It might happens. Be, might be time to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, let's go. All right. Um, enjoy the tilt. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Maybe Disco Inferno. Hopefully, Disco Inferno. Yeah. See you then. Bye.